And as we continue, we'd love to be challenged once again. Many of you heard uh, Dr. Eric Tonis this morning uh, in the first hour, and uh, he is a professor at uh, Biola. He is the chair of the theology department, teaches Bible theology, uh, but very impassioned over this topic, and we're excited for that, the passion. We still feel it from the first hour. He brings us to the students that are in the life of Biola. He also passes a church in La Mirada as well, so he is well-rounded bringing the theology of uh, a seminary and a Bible uh, teaching educational program into the setting where we as church members gather together. So would you welcome Eric as he comes and brings us God's Word again. Thank you again. It is so good to be thinking about this topic together. If you'd open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, I actually want to pick up on a theme that Shannon among many of her helpful points, one of them was that we need to be examples. I want us to think about that because I believe that people are literally dying for examples and dying for discipleship. And when I use the term literally like I just did, I mean the way we used to use it to mean literally before people started to use it to mean really. I mean literally dying. People are dying without discipleship. You know how people use literally now to mean really? Like I just bit of chili pepper and my mouth is literally on fire and you want to say no actually it's not it's maybe metaphorically on fire but not I mean literally people are literally dying for discipleship I think people are dying because of the lack of it and I know people who I don't think would still be alive apart from discipleship apart from Christ being brought to them through believers who take discipleship seriously. Uh, last uh, service, we talked about Colossians 1, the end of the chapter. Paul lays out his perspective on discipleship, and he says, Him we proclaim in a Christ-centered way, uh, warning everyone so it's serious, teaching everyone so it's got content, warning everyone and teaching everyone that we may present everyone mature in Christ. There's an every-oneness to this I want us to realize. Like prayer, which is supposed to be something that's generally true of our lives and, and intentionally, specifically true of our lives, so is discipleship. What do I mean? Well, Paul says be in continual prayer, be in constant prayer. There should be a prayerfulness about our lives. But we should also devote ourselves to prayer where we set aside time and pray intentionally. And we need to think about discipleship in a similar way. There should be a general discipleship motive and intentionality throughout our lives. That passage in Colossians 1 I just quoted, it says everyone three times intentionally right in Greek. It's to present everyone mature in Christ. That's why we warn everyone and teach everyone because we want everyone to be more mature in Christ. So there's an idea of Wherever you are, whatever the interactions may be, there should be a discipleship effect you're longing for that you have in the lives of other people. And that should be a general reality. That's why uh, the church is the best context for discipleship. So that a, a believers can be equipped and be discipling and then sent out wherever God has them in that discipleship goal. So the, the local church is this context where we disciple one another. And sometimes we don't even know what's happening. I'm discipled by little old ladies in my church and little kids like Kip Henderson who's have, had so many surgeries in his life and he's done it with joy. And I remember one time we were in a prayer meeting and uh, we were fielding prayer requests and this, this 
man asked for some prayer requests and I thought they were sort of petty. I did. You know how that can happen sometimes? Sitting there thinking, oh, come on, man. We've got all these big concerns in the world and in our church and you want us to pray that you can find your receipts. Come on. And and because uh, you got to do your tax returns. I'm thinking, get a secretary or something. I just... And I, this is not a prayer concern. I'm so critical sitting in the back. And then we went to prayer. And right out of the gate, Mindy Price, this godly woman in our church, starts praying for the requests of this man. And she starts praying things like, Lord, thank you that this brother always helpfully reminds us that you care about the little things of our lives and you have the hairs of our head numbers and daggers of conviction were stabbed in my heart in that moment. Now, Mindy Price had no idea she was discipling in me in that moment. But just the way she prayed with compassion and attentiveness for this brother that I had nothing but critical feelings for was a discipleship moment. I was so convicted and she had no idea she was rebuking me with her compassion, right? She was, she was preaching five sermons to me with that compassion. And so discipleship in a local church context is wonderful because it can, you can be discipling people, influencing people toward the Savior and growth in Him and you don't even know it just by being who you are. And that's what I want us to think about, being who we are before people intentionally and generally is, is at the core of discipleship. In, in Acts 20, Paul's saying goodbye to these beloved brothers in the faith that he had, he had led to Christ, I think. I think these are the first 12 that he led to Christ three years before this moment. And he's saying goodbye to them now. They had a church in Ephesus that just changed the world. And they had ri- revivals and riots. It was just amazing. I think of a British bishop one time, he said, it seems that everywhere Paul went, there were revivals and riots, and everywhere I go, they just make tea. <laughs> and, and <laughs> yeah, our lives can be just make tea kinds of lives, but we want to li- live lives that make a difference, don't we? Jim Elliott prayed this as a, as a college student when he was at Wheaton College. He said, Lord, make of me a crisis man. Don't let me be a milepost along a single road, but a fork whereupon men, when being confronted by Christ in me, must choose one way or the other. Make of me a crisis man. Don't you want to be someone who makes a difference in people's lives? Don't you want to be someone who leaves people better because they knew you? Because they spend time with you? That, that's what we have the privilege of being in lives that we can have in Christ. So Paul is saying goodbye to these Ephesian elders after they had this amazing experience together establishing the church in Ephesus. And we don't have time to read the whole passage, but listen to how he starts it off in verse 17. He's saying goodbye. He's passing the baton. He's never going to see them again. What would you say to these friends as you entrusted this ministry you were willing to give your life for and invested your life for three years to give? Listen how Paul starts at 17. Now from Miletus, he said to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, listen, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. And then friends, he continues preaching to them. And do you know, I count at least 16 times he refers to himself. 
as a model for how he wants them to live. You know how I lived among you. Right out of the gate he starts in a self-referential way. And then verse 20 says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Down in verse 22 he says, and now I'm going to Jerusalem. But then in verse 24 he says, I do not account my life of any value. Nor is precious to myself, if only that I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none among you of whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And then he continues, therefore I testify you this day that I, verse 26, am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And then he, he says later on in verse 31, I did not cease night or day to admonish you, everyone with tears. Now he commends them to God. And then look at verse 34. It's this beautiful image as this blue collar worker with these calloused, scarred, big old hands holds them out, no doubt, and says, I coveted no one, silver or gold, in verse 34. You yourselves know that these hands of mine ministered to my necessities and those who were with me in all things I have shown you that by working hard this way, we must help the weak. Oh, is that great? He holds his hands out. No doubt, literally, holds his hands out and says, you remember how these hands of mine minister to my needs. I wasn't here for selfish gain. I wasn't here to build some sort of financial or ministry empire. No, I worked hard. You remember? Remember how I worked? I showed you what Jesus taught. How it's better to give than receive. It's a beautiful image here, and I want us to think about lives worthy of being followed, living lives that are worthy of being followed. Three years woven throughout this whole farewell sermon, loaded with important things, is this self-referential example mentality he had when he was with them and has as he leaves them. It's a beautiful picture here, and it's rare. It's so rare that people would see themselves as examples and actually call people to what Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. In the first service, Dave gave this great example, this influence he had in the lives of this couple whose marriage was on the rock through his ministry with the police force as a chaplain. And he concluded his time by doing exactly what Paul is doing here. He wasn't so afraid that you would think he was arrogant that he was able to refer to himself and said, God used me. He used me in a simple ministry, in a ministry I'm involved with, in a crisis situation. He just used me. And this, this woman he was talking about referred back to him as this person God used to save their marriage and bring them to the Savior. Just, he wasn't afraid to do that. We need to think that way. We need to think of ourselves as examples. We need not a fear some, and have some sort of false humility. Speaking of fears, like Shannon said, one of the fears is that, that we think people will think we actually are an example. Yeah, and, and we can fear that. And I think the younger generation has a really hard time with this. You're afraid that if you really try hard spiritually and seek to influence others, your friends will look at you and say, What are you, what are you my pastor? <laughs> well, kind of. Yeah, sort of. I, I want to shepherd. I want to help. I want to influence. I want to have a discipleship influence. Yes. And don't be afraid as if people will perceive you're trying too hard, as if that'll ever really be the problem. You're, oh, what do you think, you're super spiritual? 
No, but I want to be. So we can lead. We can see ourselves as examples. And this is rare. We need people willing to say, you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church. To even someone who's not married yet and say, and you can watch my marriage if you want to see what that looks like. Imperfectly, yes, but but I'm, I'm growing in the way I love my wife. How do you spend your money? One of my friends, Dave Talley, is a very generous man. So I make sure I check in with him and I say, Hey, Dave, how much are you giving these days? And what does that look like? And he tells me and I say, Oh, I thought I was generous. I guess I'm not. And, and I, I have to readjust, right? Because of his example. And he's willing to tell me that. So we need examples to look to. And we need to see ourselves as examples in sexual purity and integrity. In being men and women of prayer and of the word and the way we serve with humble hearts, the kind of character integrity we have. It's not hard to really stand out in integrity in this culture. Have you ever returned money you found or you, you, were, you were undercharged and you came? What, people are shocked, right? What? You brought this back? The apocalypse is upon us, right? There's this... I met you, you had a shred of honesty in you and people can't believe it. It's not hard to be an example in integrity, in character these days because things are so bad. Now, what enables Paul to boast this way? How do we get to the point where we can say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ? And please realize that this isn't, as Shannon showed us, just something for the apostles or just for Paul. Uh, Follow my examples. I follow the example of Christ. Listen, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God. So whole churches like this one, no doubt, is an example for other churches. I, I sent, when I found out about this series, I sent all the stuff to our elders and said, we need to do this. We're going to steal all of this. All of it. Just download it right into our stuff. And because you're an example in this series of making discipleship what it needs to be, not leaving it to the professionals. And, and he says, old churches could be an example. Look, for you young people, listen, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourselves an example of those who believe. See, this, it's for young people, old people. All believers should have this mentality. Uh, in all things, show you to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine dignified. Uh, remember the leaders, uh, those who led you, spoke the word of God to you and considered the result of their conduct and imitate their faith. So this is for all believers. And what enables us to get to this point? Well, it's got to be grace. It's got to be understanding grace, right? How could Paul boast this way? Here's why. He knew that if Jesus hadn't met him on the road to Damascus and knocked him on his back and turned his world upside down, he'd still be killing Christians. He knew that. He knew he'd still be a a murderer of Christians if Jesus hadn't grabbed a hold of him and says, you're mine and you're coming with me now. He knew it wasn't of himself. He knew it was the grace of God. And when you know that, you can start to boast in Christ. You don't have to play this game of, oh no, don't look at me. No, you can say, God's at work in my life. It's amazing. And it humbles me, but he's at work. And so we boast in Christ. That's this desperate need we have. To be people who so believe the grace of God's at work in our lives that we can boast in it. Paul says at the end of his life, not that I've attained all this, but forgetting what lies behind, I press on to what lies before. So at the end of his life, he hasn't arrived, 
but he's still pressing on and seeing himself as an example, who's following in the footsteps of Jesus. That's the only reason someone's a good example, is if they're following, as Shannon said, the only perfect example, the only one. We follow in his footsteps. And, and Jesus is that model, but when others are following them, following those footsteps too, we can look to them. And so, uh, we're not perfect. As a matter of fact, do you know one of the most important examples you can be? An example of how to repent well. An example of how to deal with sin and failure in life in a way that doesn't make excuses and rationalize and, and, and equivocate and, and deflect and blame. But someone who owns their sin and with David in Psalm 51, who's repenting of of adultery and murder saying against you only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight you can be in a great example to people of repenting well of confessing sin well please don't think it means you're perfect we're ministers and priests of a new covenant the Bible says and it can be so simple it doesn't have to be complicated it can be amazingly simple I said people are literally dying for discipleship this is this is Alan. Alan uh, graduated from Biola a couple years ago. He is uh, getting his graduate degree, and he's, God's using this guy in amazing ways. He grew up in the foster care system. And if, if I told you the details of Alan's life, you'd think, wow, how could anything good ever come out of that start? But Alan, God grabbed a hold of Alan's life, and he came to Biola, and he was dying for discipleship. We just started hanging out and playing intramural football together. And he started spending time at our house. And a beautiful thing happened. He really started to grow. And it couldn't have been more simple. And, and he started having influence as a big brother on my kids. Like my daughter here. That's my daughter Caroline. And, and they're like brother and sister. That's what they call each other. And so my, and my wife's discipleship influence in Alan started to have an influence in my kids' lives. And they look to him now. This is Andre Murillo. Um, who came to Biola after being a minute from suicide. After having lived terribly in an empty life, he was stabbed at a party and almost died, came within seconds of dying physically, but he was still dying spiritually. And a couple of years later, he, he was going to down an entire bottle of painkillers and kill himself. And, and he fell on the ground on his way to the bottle. And he started crying out to God, forgive me, forgive me. And not long after that, Biola recruited him to come and play basketball. And I was part of the recruiting process. And his dad, who at the time didn't know Jesus, and, 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 and uh, Andre and I sat down for a recruiting lunch at Biola. And I said, Dre, tell me your story. And he told me about the grace of God in his life. And he and I, with tears for about a half an hour, just wept over God's grace. And his father later on said, well, I've never been part of a recruiting visit quite like that before. <laughs> but Andre did a 180 in his life, and he came to Biola dying for discipleship. And again, we poured into Andre, and now he's had an influence in our kids. He's playing professional basketball in Germany right now. And th this is Andre with my son, Sam, this summer at Hume Lake. They're, they're, they're buddies. Sam so looks up to Dre. To think that our simple efforts can have a ripple effect into generations and into eternity is an astounding privilege. 
Oh, to have lives that mean so much more than the world offers. Oh, that's what we're called to. Please grab a hold of this opportunity to have lives of profound meaning and watch God use you. We're going to take a few minutes now and just reflect. Think there, there's some pages there right after Shannon's pages where, where you can reflect now on what we've been thinking about this morning. Think about how God wants to use you. Think about the urgency of this because people are literally dying for discipleship. Just spend a few minutes now just reflecting and journaling in those spaces provided there in the journal. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the joy of being yours and being used to help other people draw close to you. Help us now continue to think well and deeply and in transforming ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.